The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the second stage. Jeff, we're back again, live here, and uh, it's kind of exciting. Sunny day in Cleveland. We uh, got to travel to Detroit, hang out with our EOS buddies, and uh, we have one of the most, one of the highest rated shows of all second stage time. Greg Crabtree comes back. Uh, this guy is, uh, he's out there, man. He makes some great points, and he's changing lives, punching people in the face, teaching them how to, teaching them how to do stuff. Brendan, we've talked a number of times. You've like completely crushed the next ten minutes of conversation because you gave up all the good stuff. We're going to talk just about. Get, I'm just minutes. getting started, man. I got so many nuggets from Crabtree. I, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just bait people in here. I, you know, it's. I, I probably have mentioned this 35 times, but you know, you know, uh, Greg's book, um, Simple Numbers, is a is a is a book that we mail out when uh, when we get as you know we're blessed to have a lot of inbound uh, wonderful entrepreneurs kind of asking us what you know what we think of their growth strategy and a lot of times they have lots of revenue very little profit and uh, when that happens we always send them a copy of the book simple numbers and uh, as you know uh, we we did that a, a, about a year or two or probably two years two and a half years ago to somebody who had twenty million in revenue Jeff twenty million in revenue. With only twenty thousand dollars of profit, and then what happened? Well, they called and they said, "Holy smokes!" You know, they you know they they, they were like, "Wow, you know, I, I really have a job. I don't really have a business." And I'm you know, I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." And so we worked with them a little bit. We talked to them about some of the dynamics in in, uh, in Greg's book, and, uh, and and you know, you can't go back and listen to to that. You know, to that that segment we had, uh, God, probably over a year ago or so, uh, and just worked with them, and, and literally uh, t- turned that company largely using just Greg's concepts and and some EOS stuff uh, into a business making three and a half million dollars a year. Eighteen months later, that is an amazing story, and uh, people can read about the anonymous uh, company uh, on a testimonial on our website. I believe is that is that not right, Brennan? Is that is it up yet? Because you know Barbara's so she's so efficient. Sometimes these things happen, and uh, and I don't even know about them. But uh, yeah, it's like I think it, and it's done. And um, I, yeah, I don't know if she has yeah, I I think she's I think if it's not there, it will be soon. But but we do. Uh, anyways, it's a, it really is a guy's a great resource. He uh, Greg Crabtree recently uh, wrote the, the chapter. I just finished the book Scaling Up, or just like last month, and he wrote the book in scale. He wrote the chapter in Scaling Up about uh, cash flow and so forth. So. Um, you know, when you're when you're writing chapters for Vern Harnish, you uh, you're getting your name out there pretty well and making an impact. 
That's great. Well, the, the book that Brennan's referring to is a book called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits, and it can be found on the website simplenumbers.me. And uh, I everything that Brennan said, I totally agree with. It's an amazing book. I've actually sent it out uh, to a uh, entrepreneur last week, having lots of revenue and uh, very little profits. And it amazes me, Brennan, how much entrepreneurs, small business owners, and really even larger business owners and, and managers are focused on revenue and not on profits. It's just, you know, I, I'm not sure I understand why. Well, I, and, and we'll get into that, obviously, in a lot of wonderful detail when Greg gets on the line here in a couple minutes. But as you and I, uh, when we started out on this venture many, many, many moons ago, uh, we thought that we had, we, you know, we had the kind of the basics of our five pillars. We obviously didn't, you know, didn't talk about them the way we do now. But um, I, when we sort of formulated the five pillars, I literally felt pillars one and two would be far, by far the easiest to get done. Pillars three, four, and five being uh, people, transparency, and accountability would be the toughest part. Uh, but in hindsight, it's still amazing to me that the great financial statements and the planning piece, for some reason, is the most difficult thing to tackle. And I, I, I say that to entrepreneurs. I say that to people. And the only ones that seem to nod are the are the experienced ones. You go, yep, it's uh, it's hard. Well, it's funny you say that because as we give that five pillars presentation throughout the community, uh, you know, people are like, well, geez, you, you guys are giving your, your playbook out to, you know, to everybody to, to emulate. And I said, you know, this is not new stuff. It's just it's really, really, really hard to do whether you know how to do it or not. It's very, very difficult to do. Uh, and just through pure repetition. I think evolution's gotten as good at it as anybody in, in actually implementing uh, the, the, the pillars. One thing we know for sure, Jeff, if uh, top management isn't 100% engaged, we know it's not going to work, right? So uh, Exactly right. And uh, if it doesn't get down through that famous word we like to talk about culture, if it does not in that, it's not going to work. So, uh, you know, there's it's deeper than just kind of saying let's put these pillars in. And I work and work and work with entrepreneurs. As you know, I love to do that and, and, and give that speech and I tell them whatever and they say that's fantastic, wonderful. Who do I hire to do that? And you're like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, you know, yes, you can hire people, but it's got to be something you learn and you embrace because this stuff is, uh, you know, it really is the – it's the blood. It's the um, – it's the, the – the, the fuel that keeps the company going. So, right. good stuff. And speaking about culture, we had a great uh, um, guest last week, uh, Mike Goldman, a nationally recognized speaker, consultant, author of Break, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. can be found at www.passionateorganizations.com and on Twitter at mgoldman10. Uh, and you know his four secrets were really acceptance, leverage, impact, and celebration. I, if I recall from our show, uh, we both agreed that evolution was guilty of lack of celebration. And I, I think it would be, if we uh, polled the people at Evolution, I think it would be unanimous. And the best, the worst part about it is we, have a, we every time we acknowledge that, we still don't do much about it. So um, does that mean that we're not very smart, Jeff, or we don't remember, or what, what does that mean? Uh, no, you know what I think it means? I think it means that, uh, you know, we have this expectation of ourselves in this organization, and I think everybody else in this organization does too, that we have our heads down and these things happen because we've planned for them that gets behind us and we're already on to that next, next goal. And I think that, uh, Mike's, 
Mike's suggestion, strong suggestion to us is that we need to stop and enjoy and recognize our accomplishments, recognize the people within the organization that helped contribute to the accomplishment because that does create, you know, a healthier uh, organization overall. And I think he's right. I, uh, I, uh, just finished the book. Um, by the way, Barbara just texted me and said we do not have that testimonial up yet, so uh, I don't. I didn't look at the text. So, but um, um, so I just can finished. You celebrate that? Yeah, not yet. Not yet. That's that's why we haven't celebrated. But um, it was in turn the ship around uh, a book about um, you know a, a, a nuclear submarine that was you know the the least performing or worst performing uh, submarine in the fleet, and the uh, the new captain used largely seven habits and in kind of leader leader um, uh, management style to really make the ship the most of the highest performing ship in the uh, in the navy uh he just talks about when something you know he goes on about how when something really great happened you celebrate that very second you know he's he literally you know it's like you know, once the once the crisis is over you walk down and you have a celebration and i'm like wow we are really bad at this because <laughs> it's like you and i plan stuff out for, we plan stuff out for months and then don't do it so it's a uh, it's uh, something to learn something to learn yeah, no, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, I feel really great about all the wonderful guests that uh, that Barbara has brought to this show. And, and, you know, again, we've talked about this a number of times that the biggest benefit to uh, this show to you and I is the fact that we get to spend time with guys like Mike Goldman and obviously Greg Crabtree today. And we learn and uh, that the beauty of entrepreneurship is, is that you never stop. Never stop, and Never I, I'll stop tell you. Learning. And I tell you, you get, you get experts like uh, like like Crabtree, and you and you run around to the EO events and the Inc. 500 events, and you know it's it's just it, like I said, you just as people, most people just assume entrepreneurs. This financial thing is is innate that they can you know that this stuff is something that you can hire somebody, they can figure it out. And I you know I don't know the numbers, Jeff, but the companies that are below five million in revenue, it's a very small number of companies that have you know. Our our uh, our sample of four or five hundred companies a year, very 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 small percentage have this stuff, you know, kind of really to the point where they can decide what they want to do with the business. And uh, uh, you know, Greg's got done some wonderful work in trying to you know help help entrepreneurs see that because as, as you and I often find out, Jeff, you know, we we an entrepreneur thinks they want to grow, and then we sit down and kind of talk to them about what it would take, and then they go, you know what, hey, this is uh, this is fine. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. And yeah. Uh, but the data is the key part to decide those things. Yep, that's true. So for, for our listeners who are not familiar with Greg Crabtree, he's a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and financial expert. Uh, Greg has used his entrepreneurial skills to develop Crabtree, Rowe, Berger, uh, a CPA firm focused solely on the needs of entrepreneurs, helping them build the economic engine of their businesses. Working with entrepreneurs all over the country in a broad range of industries, uh, Greg has simplified financial reporting and empowered all entrepreneurs to take ownership of their finances. He has pioneered a revolutionary metric for driving business profitability, measuring labor efficiency, and developing simple benchmarks for company, team, and individual performance. In 2011, Greg wrote the book that we're talking about uh, on earlier on the show, The Simple Number Street Talk, Big Profits in which he shares his core principles of how to turn your business into a wealth-building machine. You can also follow Greg Crabtree at Greg Crabtree CPA on Twitter. And as I said, I mentioned the website before, simplenumbers.me. 
and when we take a break, uh, we will come back. And we'll have Greg on, on our show, and he's got some more great information to share with us, uh, which we will not spoil uh, uh, in, in this segment. Uh, as always, uh, I want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't. We want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. You can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com and uh, follow the hashtag the second stage. That's T-H-E-2-N-D stage. Uh, and then finally, before we cut to break, I would like to thank our sponsors. McGladry LLP is a leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. Uh, with that, we're going to take a break here on the second stage. and we come back, we'll be uh, with our esteemed guest, uh, and uh, one of our most highly rated shows, if I if I remember correctly, um, I think it may be the highest. If it's not highest, it's top three out of like eighty or eighty or how many shows we've done. It's a big number. Uh, it's a big number for sure. So um, by popular demand, Greg Crabtree is back. We're going to take a break here in the second stage. Thanks for tuning in. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. 
Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is uh, Jeff Caddick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Like any forum, the show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. You, you can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. We are back here with our guest, Greg Crabtree. Uh, the uh, the the author of Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits, and you can uh, find out more about the book if you don't haven't bought it yet at simplenumbers.me, and you can follow Greg at Greg Crabtree CPA. Welcome to the second stage, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure. Hey. As we mentioned earlier, Greg was the, probably the highest rated show we've had before. We should have uh, we should have him on every week. But uh, Greg, I, I shared earlier in the first segment that that we anytime we you know we get we're blessed to have a lot of good a uh, lot of uh, inbound people looking for you know kind of uh, business models and so forth. And when they have you know significant revenue without a lot of profits, we always mail them a copy of your book. And uh, we've we've we literally have some great testimonials of people that have read the book, called back, asked questions, and literally I, I think I shared with you when you were on the phone. A couple months ago just talking that uh, one one guy 20 million in revenue twenty thousand dollars of profit and then after 18 months after reading your book and so forth 3.5 million dollars of profit and running yeah, running cool. well so that's it's right. just and, uh, that's what i love to hear all i can say is it works people all i can say is it works yeah. hey uh, you know, Greg. So often, when when you're an entrepreneur and you got a three or four or five million dollar business, and you're just you're just trying to to go on, or you're tr- you're just trying to kind of you know figure out how to you know they, you go to an EO thing or you listen to you talk, it, 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 it's something to read scaling up or read one of the books. You go, I want to do that. Tell me how right. to start. How do you start this thing? Well, you know, you know, I think the the key that we focused in on first is what seems to start the clarity is understanding gross margin rather than revenue, because there's so many dynamic business models in today's marketplace that revenue is just an illusionary number that starts where dollars start to flow. But once you take the approach the way we define gross margin is revenue minus any of those direct costs that are not labor, um, that really gets you down to the, the dollars that you have to deal with your internal cost. So essentially, cost of goods sold are an external cost. And so if I'm a, a manufacturer's rep and I get 10% commission off of everything I sell, you know, you may say, hey, I'm a $10 million business. Well, no, you're not. You're a million-dollar business. You know, you, you didn't have any risk in that cost of goods sold. Uh, even if you're a manufacturer, uh, it's one of those things that you have to understand. I always tell people that are in the manufacturing business, I said, listen, you, you make the things you sell and you sell the things that you sell. You're really two different businesses, and you're confusing yourself when you mix those two things together. And so, you know, the cost of that thing that you make, you know, really has to be isolated, you know, because those are those goods and, and materials that you use to make the thing, you know, came from an external source. And so, so what we found is that's the first step to clarity, and you've got to get enough gross margin dollars to be significant. And that's really where we tell people is the true top line of the business. Uh, use use revenue when you talk externally if you want to, but we think gross margin is where everything starts. 
Hey, Greg, let me ask you, Just this is just a, a personal rule of thumb that I've always used is at what point do you define, assuming they're measuring the gross profit margin correctly, at what point do you think the business is more of a commodity? Is there some threshold that you say, if you're below this, people are price takers and you don't really have anything but a commodity type business? Uh, I, I've not seen that. I mean, I think that's more of a dynamic from an industry-to-industry basis. When you take a look at, you know, what is it that you can add to that product or service? And so you look at, say, for example, in the human capital business, let's take staffing. Staffing has, we've got several staffing businesses as clients, and and they have the lowest labor efficiency ratio for their direct labor because you think about a staffing business model. They're going to have huge revenue. Well, let's face it, you know, you're going to have a, a labor efficiency ratio somewhere between a low of a buck 25 to maybe as high as a buck 50, but pretty close to that range. And what you're being paid that 25 to 50 cents on the dollar for is recruiting the resource and running payroll. Because you don't really manage that person. That person mm-hmm. is managed by the, the people you lease that to. And so the market considers so uh, to your point what to me strikes me as a commodity is when you start getting a lower when you get lower than say a dollar 75 labor efficiency ratio on labor you're pretty much down to the commodity market you're just being you know paid for you know finding and deploying versus managing and adding any extra value and and you can be trapped in some of the the high lofty ideals that sound great uh, in theory of oh well let's add value. Well, if the market doesn't appreciate the value that you added, all you added was cost. And and so I mean I'm all for adding value when the market appreciates it and will pay for it. But that's really kind of where we we try to tell all of our entrepreneurs is that you know I'm going to rip rip a little snippet out of the economics book that they taught us in college because most of it is stuff that nobody can understand. But the part that you really can't understand is most markets are price-led costing. The market determines the price it's willing to pay. You have to make the cost fit. And and that, I think, is the harsh reality that all entrepreneurs need to grasp. Yeah, we, we had a packaging business. Doesn't that sound familiar, Brennan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, they were trying to, trying to add value through bells and whistles that nobody wanted to pay for and just increase costs. Yeah. Add value yeah, through counting so pennies. At that point, yeah, and if you have that kind of a business model, what what the enlightenment moment is is when we show them, hey, gross margin is really the critical thing. Find a way to, to keep growing gross margin and then make sure that your operating expenses stay relative to that gross margin increase. So more than likely, you've got to go big or go home in that kind of a model. Right. All right, Jeff, getting back on the agenda. This is bad when you take me off the agenda, but that's a, this is gonna, Greg, that's a first. That's, well, maybe a second or third. But So you, you define that as so kind of getting to a gross margin number. You, you, you talk about this thing called true revenue, which we, got in, we just kind of got into a little bit. And so if I'm an, yeah. on, if I'm an entrepreneur and, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what my, my gross margin is, do, I have to first understand my true revenue. Is that right? Right. That's correct. It's yeah. a use an example about a construction company, and I was just kind of maybe we walk through that and then kind of start talking yeah. about how we get to that. Yeah. So on page twenty, on page twenty-two of the book, uh, it, it is the example that I use two different businesses to show the absurdity of how most accountants look at financials. Because you know, I, when I'm talking to a group of people, I always say, okay, if everybody pull out your pen and put it on the table, 
you know, if there's 100 people in the room, there would be 100 different versions of the P&L, unless you're one of our clients. And all of our clients have the same speak. We've created a singular language of interpretation of the business engine. And, and that's the, the simplicity of it, but it's powerful because it gets people of the similar businesses being able to understand how their businesses are actually comparable once you do the filtering process. And the first big filter is that cost of goods sold section. And so if you're a construction company, it means you filter out materials and subcontractors because there has to be profit in the equation left in there for the, the, the material seller and the, and the, the uh, subcontractor. Uh, now, this means true subcontractors, where you're subcontracting with a business as a specialty, not a misclassification of a true employee. And, and so we, we go through that a good bit, discussion. But this, this is assumption that it's a true subcontractor, that you've got to leave profit in that equation for that, that resource. And so once you filter those out, you take a $20 million construction company, and all of a sudden they're a $2.8 million gross margin business that's just like a $4 million services business that uses 900000 of of subcontractors. And and so it's that case where now all of a sudden from gross margin down, all of the costs are very similar, you know, in that business. And we see a natural, I mean, there, there are certain things that will vary in terms of your direct labor, um, you know, depending on skill set and those kind of things. But pretty much businesses start to look very similar from gross margin down. And so we've actually started adopting using business metrics more primarily as a percentage of gross margin rather than as a percentage of revenue. Hmm. I, it, so, okay, so so you got the, so let's say you've, you've kind of figured out your true revenue, you've got your gross profit margin. Maybe let's go back to what's the single greatest driver of cash flow? Profitability. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, profitability is, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's funny, um, there's a, there's there's a guy named Alan Miltz who does some great work. If you're really a numbers geek, Alan has uh, put out this thing called the Power of One, which is a really good exercise where it says if you take a one percent increase in revenue, what does that do to profit and cash flow? One one percent increase in volume, one percent decrease in operating expenses, and so forth. But the thing is, is once you go through all that. Um, you know, you, you show people the fact that the number one thing that moves cash flow permanently is profit. I can move one. I can move my days uh, in outstanding in accounts, day sales outstanding in receivables by one day, but it's not a permanent move. It's like a rubber band; it snaps back. And so, unless I have constant effort, well, guess what? Constant effort requires a human that we have to pay money to. And so to a certain degree, albeit I'm really big on people collecting their money faster, be careful what you ask for because you can spend a lot of money pushing people to make a one-time move, but are they making it a permanent move? And because once day sales and receivable gets down to 30 and it snaps back to 45, guess what? You go, you, you go through a trough of losing cash flow. Whereas profit is permanent. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Now, you may have to wait for it. But I'm telling you this. I have never had a problem getting a company financed that was profitable and had receivables. 
That's not a problem. Banks are begging for people to borrow money that have that scenario. The problem is, is when you got people with receivables and no profit, and then they want to go borrow money, and guess what? The bankers have finally woke up to the fact that, hey, you know, when you have some profit, we'll talk to you. They, <laughs> they finally figured it out. Hey, I, I, I want to talk about the level of profitability, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, and everybody that's listening, in this book, you got to look and see you know, the levels of profitability and the ability to collect cash, and we'll get into that in a minute, but let's talk about you know, a business that's on life support versus a good one and some of those metrics that, that you guys yeah. have, have, have figured out. Yeah, so, so for the basics, the, you know, there's, there's always some outliers, but there's not as many as, as I would say, for 80% of the business market. At 5% profit, you're on life support. At 10% profit, you're a good business. At 15% profit, you're, you're a great business. And anything above 15, I'll tell you, you better be prepared for competition. Because I can, I can stand outside of a business and tell you what profit level it has. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to just observe how a business is working to pretty much kind of figure out, hey, these guys are killing it. I think we need to, to go after their business, or we need to be in that market. We need to be doing some of the things they're doing. I mean, the information is more available than most people would think. And, and so and, and what we do find is there are certain businesses that, um, you know, if you're in a hot segment, like right now I would say if you're in the marketing sector or uh, if you're in uh, custom programming, we bump those up about 5%. Because one, custom programming is a hot market. You better get it while you can, and and that seems to be the the good companies that we we have as clients are all hitting that number with relative ease. So just slide everything up five percent. So a, you know you're not on life support at ten percent, but you ought to be doing fifteen to twenty as a, a custom programming business instead of you know ten to fifteen. In marketing, we want you five percent higher for a different reason. Because in marketing businesses are very market sensitive, and so uh, we always say our we look at our marketing businesses as our canaries in the coal mine. We think that they're the first businesses to give us an indication of the direction of the U.S. economy, and so they will actually marketing. If we look at our marketing clients as, as a total market uh, because we have them all over the country. You know, we get a sense of uh, kind of what the U.S. GDP growth is going to be probably about three to six months before the actual Federal Reserve sees it. Because the first cost to be turned up in an upturn is marketing. The first cost to be turned down in a downturn is marketing. Although that's actually, uh, turning it down in a downturn is actually not a good move. But people do it. So how did you when you when you look at like the five percent you're on life support? I mean, I, I you know I bet you if you're giving a presentation to a hundred EOers, uh, mm-hmm. entrepreneur organization people, I bet you get some pushback on that. What you know why why is five percent? Uh, actually, they don't because I show them the slide that calculates it, and, <laughs> and so what they they see this harsh reality. What 5% means if you're a, we show a slide that shows a two million dollar business. Well, if five percent profitability, um, you know, what is that, $100,000 of profit. Well, guess what? At $100,000 of profit, you still owe taxes. So take 40% off of that for taxes, you only get 60000 Well, at 60000 most businesses have probably at least of, of $2 million of revenue, have about $60,000 a year of either CapEx and or debt service. I mean, it's just a natural data point. That you see over and over again. So that's why at 5%, you have zero cash flow. 
Hey, just just for every you define profit as is that just net income after depreciation, interest, everything? How, how do you define profit? Yes, yes. Bot, bottom line pre-tax net income. Because think of it like this: the reason why we use that number is that think of it that because I, I'm really big on this idea of presenting a closely held business as one of your best investment options you would ever want to have, and and it's based on this premise in the sense that if you had $100,000 to go invest and you bought a, a bond with it, let's say you might buy a corporate bond that you might get lucky to get 4% interest. Okay, well, that's your return on investment. Guess what? If you put $100,000 in a business that will probably, $100,000 would probably net you a million-dollar business. You might even be a little bit more. But but somewhere, you know, full capitalization, say, on a million-dollar business is probably going to be 150000 uh, that that if you put into it and you started running it and making it profitable. That, that million-dollar business at 10% profit is $100,000 a year. That, that is about a 75% rate of return. And so I'll give you a good example. We helped my nephew get into business in a car audio business, and he's doing about $750,000 of revenue a year. Family kind of did a little capital raise to make sure he didn't have to borrow any money. So he's making ten percent profit, seventy five thousand a year on seven hundred fifty thousand of revenue. We invested one hundred fifty thousand. Simple math. It's returning fifty percent as a return on investment because he doesn't have debt service because he's fully capitalized. And so it goes back into our. We'll talk a little bit later in the, in the talk about the well, capital target concept. But essentially, if I can convince an entrepreneur to have a fully capitalized business, make at least 10% profit, you will get a 50% return on your investment. And then you get to make a decision. Do you want to continually reinvest those profits, just like you would if you were in a mutual fund, and buy more stock and grow the business farther faster, or do you want to harvest it? I don't need to reinvest. I'm making good enough money. Well, that's your choice. That's up to you. I don't make that choice for you. I just tell you the dynamics of how it works. But who wouldn't want to get a business that returns 50% and sometimes even as much as 100? Yeah, I mean, yeah that's, that's exciting. That's and you put it that way, you put it that way and, and it should it should make most entrepreneurs realize that if you can just get to that point where you've got the company c- properly capitalized. Jeff and I often say that it's like you get it to the point where you can then work on the business instead of in the business because you have a little bit of breathing room. I, I know what Jeff's thinking over there that I'm never going to get to the end unless I move on. But I do have one more question about <laughs> profitability. I'm not um, thinking that. But you know, yes, he is. Yes, he is. I can promise you that. This one is a stunner to me. And, and I know we've talked about this before, but if you have a 5% Profit margin, profit, you have 5% profit, and you collect receivables in 45 days. On average, yep. how long does it take to be cash flow positive? And everybody stop and think about it. Got a business, you're making yeah. 5%, and you're collecting receivables yeah. in 45 days, which is typically pretty good. How many months does it yeah. take? It takes you 66 months. So Think about that, everybody. Yeah. yeah for the Five and a half years, challenge. everybody. Yeah. Five and a half years, yeah. And and so and, and that curve and I put that in the book, it shows that at five percent at sixty six months. At ten percent profitability it drops to thirty three months. And then at fifteen percent profit it drops to twenty one months. So t- tell me if you take five days off of the eight the days in AR. It it's not moving at that many months. 
And once again, I would argue that it's just a temporary move because the marketplace is generally going to move towards standard terms. And this is where I, I break rank with the people who always talk about, oh, well, you need to collect your receivables faster. Well, if you can, that's great. But guess what? The last thing I want to do is give up profit margin to get my money faster. I can finance patience. I can't finance lack of profit. You actually say in the, in the book that you, you, when taking discounts, you basically wouldn't pay more than your borrowing rate. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, love, I love it because most entrepreneurs are given five, you know, two, three, four percent for early payment. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's a, that's a well, brutal and number. Get, and, get, and guess what? And so, I, and I learned this, you know, from watching it, 08, 09, 2010. That last time I, I checked, that was kind of what people called the recession year. Guess what? There was the most profitable years my clients have ever had in their life. They didn't. They may not have grown very much, but they were raking in the profits. And you know why? Because none of them had any debt. Because we taught them how to be fully capitalized, and they were being opportunistic about our, you know the desperate people were willing to give discounts to get cash faster, but the patient people are going. I got cash. Make me a deal. Yeah. And, and it, 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 it cash is the biggest magnet of opportunity I've ever seen. You know, it's funny you say that, Gray, because, you know, we were in one of our funds during that time and our companies did extraordinarily well during that time because mm-hmm. we're not big users of leverage here at Evolution. We tend to fully capitalize the businesses that we partner with. And I, yeah. I agree with you. They, they they were trying to stay off their lender's radar screen, and they were pulling back, trying to shrink their balance sheet, and mm-hmm. uh, and our guys could continue to operate as normal. That's right. You know, and, and it's like, you know, you got more patience. Uh, you, you know, like I said, you can act on the deal, you know, in a very quick fashion. I mean, it's, it's, it's really powerful. And then every company that we've taken from being cash poor to cash rich, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll never go back to the way they were doing it. I mean, it's like, well, forget forget about, you know, line of credit, I don't need one. I mean, I'm sitting on a million dollars in cash, and, you know, and, and so that's that's the mindset that they're looking at and going, you know, they, and they used to never think that they would ever have that much cash and leave it in the business. But it's there for a purpose because it's there, there you know, our core capital target calculation gives you a specific target of how much money is enough and then anything over and above that, we're making different dis- decisions and discussions on those. Do you harvest it and deploy it external to the business, or do you reinvest it in the business to grow it faster and farther? And the reinvestment thing in business is a totally different discussion in today's economy than it used to be you know, 50 years ago. Which in Jim Collins, the book Great by Choice, he says, you know, the, what's the common characteristic of the, the, the you know, the twenty mile marchers is that they had three times more cash than the, than their competitors. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Hey, Jeff, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I have eight minutes to cover the last six. So <laughs> I just sent you a note: eight minutes, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't see that. But here, but here's here's the key point. You know, Jeff, we talk frequently about dashboards, and and, and a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. say, what do I want to put on my dashboard? And I think this is this is the key to these seven numbers, and and maybe talk about you know talk about that real quickly about why why these yeah. numbers should be your dashboard I mean, I mean obviously you do have to i mean we think first you start with profitability i mean so that's that's really kind of the key that you know if you don't have profitability you better be having a plan that either i'm going to get i've got enough capital to get me there 
but I can't just make it a wishful day. Then, obviously, then once I get past profitability, I've got to start with revenue. I mean, it, it, even though it's a vanity number, it does start the calculation. But then we go to gross margin. And so our gross margin discussion is different than most in the sense that I could care less what your gross margin percentage is. I can't spend a percentage. I can spend dollars. We want you to learn to fill up the gross margin bucket and leave yourself plenty of latitude that, you know, if, if I'm a marketing business that I could do all the work myself, well, gee, I get 100% gross margin percentage. Or, let's face it, I could win, but that's only a $20,000 project. I could go win a $100,000 project that has $50,000 of subcontracted costs. Which one do I want? Well, I'll take the 100000 that has the fifty. Conversely, i got to look at it the other way and make sure that I don't take on the, you know, don't pat myself on the back for the $30,000 project that has $28,000 of pass-through costs versus the $20,000 project that's all my people. And so it gets people to think that, again, we're finding more and more businesses that don't have a consistent gross margin percentage. And the ones that do get stuck into that percentage thinking, they tend to miss opportunities to where, hey, if I do a certain amount of volume, well, I can be more price competitive. I mean, every, you know, there is a price and, and quantity curve in every, every marketplace, you know, whether it be services and or product. Once you get past gross margin, then it's like, okay, now that we got the margin, the key are the next two labor levers, the first one being direct labor. And so we think you've got to separate your labor in every business model between direct labor and management labor. And by not having labor in your cost of goods sold, you get to see, the, you get a measurement, what we call the direct labor efficiency ratio, which is gross margin per direct labor dollar. And this is where I, you know, I believe that, you know, Full-time equivalent calculations are just worthless. I mean, I've never seen two people that are the same. So why do we calculate FTEs? I mean, it's ridiculous. What's constant in labor is a dollar of labor and what did it get me? I don't care how many heads I have. I care about the dollars deployed. And I could have a strategy where I go higher, uh, higher wage for more production. I could go lower wage for lower production, but at the end of the day, and it could be a blend across the continuum. I mean, you've got to figure out how to put your team on the field, and we, we use the sports analogy of the salary cap concept, which I think every business has a natural salary cap. You just get to figure out the mix of how you put a team on the field, and are you offensive-oriented or defensive-oriented or a blend? Uh, and take that approach, hey, Greg. In the, in the direct labor, in the direct labor, is that that would people that would be people working directly on the job? Would it include things like you know an engineer that supported them or the supervisors, or would it just yeah, be the people I mean, that are doing the? You know, a lot of that is kind of subjective. I mean, I think the key is consistency. Put put we call it put a butt in a bucket. I mean, don't split people between the groups. You're either direct or you're management, and, and keep that role in, in that place, you know, across okay. the, the comparison. I'm a, I think is if our rule of thumb is if you spend 50% of your time producing either customer-facing or doing the thing that you sell or do as a business, we think that's direct. So okay. we tend to err more to direct than shifting somebody down into management. And, okay. and so we, we want a smaller group down in management labor or kind of the administrative staff. Uh, like in my business, I'm actually direct labor because I spend 50% of my time, you know, doing billable work and then the rest of my time's in marketing, you know, but, but I, I'm, I don't 
really do anything on a management day by day basis. So that's that's somebody else's job because you know that it's an important job. It's a well paid job. It's just not as well paid as what I do for a living. And so it's kind of the idea of, you know, we, we had this dentist client that, you know, he wanted to be paid extra for managing the business. And I said, well, do you want to work for the $75,000 office manager job or do you want to have a three to $750,000 dental job? I mean, take your pick. I mean, as, the, <laughs> yeah, right. as the owner of the business, you get to pick any job you want, but the market picks your pay. And, and so, you know, take your pick. So, I, I want to go to so, the higher so we go paid the- job myself. So it's so the direct labor, and then we, and then we obviously so after direct labor we we um, um, right. go to the go ahead. I'm sorry, finish the. So so after after direct labor, so you take gross margin minus direct labor, and that's a term that we've really focused on called contribution margin. That is the output of the business engine. We believe that if you're going to base any kind of incentives targets or anything in the business, the purest number on your P&L is contribution margin because there's no discretion in it. And if you can increase contribution margin dollars, you've made a significant move forward in your business. And that's the critical number. We actually see a significant correlation to, to contribution margin dollars and neutral value of a business. So, like, if you're going to sell a business in the marketplace, we think there's actually a pretty tight correlation to one times contribution margin on a what I would call a neutral value. You're not getting a premium. You're not getting a discount. It's almost like a strip sale where you're stripping out the business activity to sell it to somebody else, and you're getting rid of your administrative expenses, you know, bolting on that business to something else. But we've seen a high correlation to that being kind of a neutral starting point of the value of the business. Uh, as well. Um, and so that's a key number. And so we base a lot of our executive incentive plans and team incentive plans around contribution margin performance attainment. And forget about net profit, because I'm telling you, if I hit a contribution margin level attainment, I can predict every number in operating expenses. That's not that's not hard. Yeah, because you can because you know that those numbers shouldn't change much month to month. You know that you can adjust for that, and that yeah. So tell me about Absolutely. Tell me about direct labor efficiency ratio because that seems to be something you guys – that and then management efficiency uh, ratio seems to be something you guys are big fans of. Yeah, so we want to create a simplistic measurement. So we believe labor is a multiplier, not a percentage. And so like in my business model, I need to hit a two LER for direct labor. I need $2 of gross margin for every dollar we spend for direct labor. I can guarantee with a 100% certainty that if I hit a two LER, I get a 10% profit for our business. Wow. Um, if you're a, if, if you're a landscaping business, it might take a three and a half to a four. Um, if you're um, a veterinary clinic, you know, it might take um, about a two and a half um, number. Uh, so, I mean, so it varies from business, but it doesn't vary dramatically. And, and so it gives you a key number that once you establish that, then as you grow, it gives you a way to quickly calculate how much dollars you have available for raises and or adding new people. Because you got to understand, when my salary cap expands because we've grown, I got to be careful because I can either hire a body, pay an incentive, or give a raise. Well, hiring a body and giving a raise are the gifts that keep on giving. Paying an incentive, hey, we did good this year. Let's see if we can do it again next year. 
I'm not making, you know, and, and so you got to do all three. I mean, they're all important, but you got to you got to play those cards wisely, and, and you got to have a strategy as to why you play which card. So the other one, that, though, that I'll tell you, this is the one that we think actually drives profitability the most, which is management labor efficiency. So it's the numerator for direct labor efficiency is gross margin. The numerator for management labor is contribution margin. That's why we say that's the purest, most relevant number. Your management team is tasked to produce contribution margin. What are the three elements that get you to contribution margin? Revenue, direct cost, and direct labor. They've got three levers. Hey, take it in whatever mix you want, but when you get done mixing those three things in there, it better produce a positive dollar. And I cannot tell you how many times we've seen people do a million dollars of increased growth and have zero increase to actually even a negative contribution margin. Wow. Because they didn't figure through what's, what's the trickle-down filtering effect. And, and that is the ultimate measurement of effective management, is did you produce more management labor or more contribution margin dollars? And whereas we see direct labor efficiency being a multiplier effect that ranges between a, you know, a, like I said, a staffing business is in the, the one five or below and, you know, engineering companies are around a two, like a CPA firm and others are a little bit higher. We do see a correlation in management labor of being around a three and a half to a four is, is kind of a sweet spot of most profitable businesses. Now, part of that is the definition of who you put in there, but we, it, it actually is one where I've been surprised. I've seen more correlation to that number. Of I, I need to get 3 to $4 of contribution margin dollars for every dollar of gross wages I pay managed. All right, so let's, let's talk about the core capital target because I know we, we touched on it briefly, but uh, this, is, this is good stuff. It's called, man, it's called balance sheet made simple. <laughs> All you got to know is I need two months of operating expenses, which includes you know facilities, marketing, management labor, and direct labor. You know, it's everything other than cost of goods sold is what we call a, a monthly expense because you don't get terms on most of those things. I can't get terms on labor. So it's all labor plus those operating expenses that aren't cost of goods sold that you do get terms on. I need two months of that in cash with nothing drawn on a line of credit. So it's a simple calculation. I don't care how much you have in inventory. I don't care how much you have in AR. I don't care what you're carrying in AP other than your current with your, your you're not stretching uh, vendors. Um, term debt, as long as the term debt is associated with a, a hard fixed asset that's based on its true useful life, you're not extending debt uh, beyond without an asset that's connected to that's productive. You know, but it's really that line of credit debt that people get drunk on. And, and, and so the key is to be that full capitalization. You just need those two months of operating expenses. And then once you get there, it gives you that clear, if my number, say, is 400000 every time I have more than $400,000 in cash and all my taxes have already been distributed and set aside, then if I've got 500000 I've got $100,000 that I get to make a decision on. Do I want to accelerate some... Um, spending to grow the business, maybe hire a business developer, spend more in marketing temporarily to make an impact or, you know, buy a significant piece of equipment or 
something along those lines, or do I want to take the hundred thousand and start diversifying my wealth external to the business? I mean, it's amazing, and you guys see this probably a good bit. Is anytime an entrepreneur can take a little money off the table to diversify their risk external to the business, it gives them a lot more patience in the business. It really does. It really you know, does. Greg, that that is uh, that is great stuff, and we we've gone way over because you're giving us such great information. I love all the ratios and how you talk about them. I think has been been outstanding. But unfortunately, we have to to take a break here on the sure. second stage. Uh, but want to thank you again for being on the show. I'm sure this will also be okay. way up the charts. And uh, want to thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, to our listeners, we're going to take a quick break and come back in our final segment with some concluding thoughts. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick. I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. We just concluded our last segment with our guest, Greg Crabtree, entrepreneur, financial expert, and author of Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. You can find him on his website at simplenumbers.me, and you can follow him on Twitter at, at Greg Crabtree CPA. I tell you, Brendan, I love talking to guys that have complete understanding of their subject matter like that. Yeah, and, and and I actually I agree, and and I think that we didn't you know give Greg a, you know honestly there's about 45 questions I wanted to ask him that I didn't, and I know you find that hard to believe, um, but but you know he also has just a, for those he has a a system that if you are using QuickBooks he can actually do these numbers for you, and so you know that automatically goes in there and and, and and actually just runs with this information. So if you're if you're sitting there listening to this show and you go oh my god you know this stuff's way over my head. I don't know what he's talking about. This is, he can do this for you. This is math and he can help you get the things, the numbers in the right buckets and, and it just flows through and, um, you know, read, read the book, um, simple numbers, read the book scaling up and then, um, you know, and then also, um, uh, you know, the, you know, some of that power of the one stuff from uh, Alan, but you know, this stuff is, it's overwhelming, but there are people that can help you get it done. If that, if that, if I haven't made that point clear, please, God, realize that there's a, there's a formula for this stuff. Well, you know, it's it is it's truly simple numbers. I mean, it's just simple. If you just keep these certain things in mind and you start using them in your business, 
Uh, and as you said, you can certainly leverage outside resources. Maybe your own accountants uh, can do these sorts of things. But I just love the context that he puts around each one of the measurements and what they mean to or what they should mean to a manager. They're not just ratios on a page. They have impact. And what does that mean when it says it's a two uh, versus a one? Right. And in a way, you know, what's and if you really can monitor those numbers and know that you're going to generate 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 percent profit or whatever those numbers you know mean to your business, that that should free you up to work on the business. That should free you up to hire people or or to or to make those investments you've been dying to do. By the reverse, of that if it falls below those numbers, you gotta drop back and pay attention to the detail. I mean, it, it really is. It's the things that you and I talk about about getting a dashboard, getting getting consistent data to be able to make these, you know, to make these decisions and not have to just be in the business. I know, we, you know, it's an overused thing, but we just, uh, it's its true. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, we are, uh, of course, running out of time here, uh, but we thought the more time Greg was on the phone uh, talking uh, and not listening to you and I, I thought was, uh, was a good call. But uh, any last uh, words of wisdom, Brennan? Passion for possibilities, Jeff. Passion for possibilities. I love it. I I love it. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage, everybody. We'll be back next week with another great show. Uh, Appreciate uh, you listening in, and uh, we we love uh, 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 being a part of the show ourselves. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. 